Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Good morning, everyone. So glad to see you this morning. I'm going to talk to you this morning about, um, this is another standalone message, which is a little different than what we normally do. We usually do a series, but we will be starting the Christmas series the thrill of hope starting next Sunday and then going through December. But uh, this morning, I want to talk to you uh, about uh, living your life in a way that really matters, uh, in a way that outlives you, uh, because that's what we're all about here at, at Family Church. We're committed to doing everything that we can to help make, to help make your life count for something, uh, frankly. Uh, why? Because at Family Church, we believe that people live forever. And you should believe that as well, because people do live forever. That's why we'll do anything short of sin. I say that jokingly, but I mean it. We'll do anything short of sin to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're we're that committed to this. And uh, the way that we do this uh, is through this four-step process. uh, And Kyle referenced that uh, in the next class. Uh, but this is our vision. Actually, it's more than just our vision. This, this, is, this is like our spiritual DNA at Family Church. When you come here, you need to know that we are committed to helping you walk through these four steps. And if you come here for very long, I, I want you to memorize these so that you can tell other people uh, that this is what we're all about. These four steps are, number one, know God. We want you to come to know God personally. This has nothing to do with how often you attend church or how much money you give in the offering. No, this is just, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know him personally? Not just intellectually, not just an acknowledgement, but personally in your heart. Have you had a divine, personal encounter with Jesus Christ? See, this is more than just about religion. This is about a relationship with creator God who created you, created you and has a plan for your life. And then once we come to know God, the next step is to find freedom. And this is where we get set free. This is where we settle those issues, those hurts, habits, and hangups that we accumulated while we were living out in the world apart from God. And unfortunately, in the same way that those hurts, habits, and hangups didn't just appear one day, neither do they disappear in one day. In fact, like the other three steps in this process, this is a journey. It's not a destination. So as we continue to get to know God more, we begin to see just how much he loves us. And then that motivates us to lean in closer to him and read his word more and pray to him and meditate on him. And and that's where our healing comes. That's where the healing from our past comes. But a huge, listen, a huge part of finding freedom comes through our growth groups because that's where real life is shared. And then healing comes as we share our struggles and just really get, get honest with each other. And if you haven't joined one of our growth groups, I strongly encourage you to get plugged in when we launch our spring growth groups, which will be in later in January, but we'll, we'll make sure that you, we'll let you know when we set those dates. Then once you come to know God and find freedom, then you start getting into the real exciting part of following Jesus. Because once you begin following Jesus, that's the day you discover why you were created in the first place. And that's the third point, the third step, discover purpose. As we so often say, the two biggest days of your life are the day that you were born and the day that you find out why. This third step of the growth track helps you dial in that age-old question, why am I here? Why am I here, right? Here's where we help you identify your your unique giftings and talents and skill set. Because the truth is, there are certain things that only you'll be able to do because of the way that you do them. 
I know that might sound odd to you, but but it is true. This step is all about helping you identify and then begin using your gifts and talents that God gave you. And once you discover what your unique gifts and talents are, that's when you can begin doing what you were created to do in the first place, which is the fourth step, make a difference. Make a difference. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Every single one of you, listen, every single one of you were created to leave a legacy, to live your life in a way that would impact people long after you're gone, right? And the beginning place for doing that is by going through those four steps in community with others. So here's what you need to understand. If you don't, if you don't define what your life is about, your problems will. Let me say that again. If you don't define what your life is all about, your problems will. If you're not intentional about living your life in a way that reaches beyond your world and into eternity, your problems will define your life. Because where there is no vision, this isn't me, this is the Bible. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's what the Bible says. Where there is no revelation of why you're here on this planet, people become discouraged and die. Maybe not physically, but certainly emotionally and definitely spiritually. God wants us to live our life in a way that transcends us and lives on beyond us, even after we're long gone. So how do we do that? How does someone do that? You do it by investing in something that will outlive us. And when I say investing, that's not just a reference to money. I mean, it can include our treasure, our resources, but it also includes your time and your talents as well. So here's the big idea of the message. The big idea is the goal isn't to live on earth forever, but to leave something that does, right? And there are basically two parts to your life. There's the life that you live here and now, and then the life that you're going to live in eternity, and even though most of the stuff that we talk about here on Sunday mornings pertains, pertains to your life here and now and, you know, all the struggles that we end up facing, truth be told, we're going to spend a whole lot more time in eternity than we do on this planet. And that's, so that's part of my job as well, preparing you for eternity as well. In fact, here's how Paul referred to this day of reckoning. In Romans 14.10, he said, why do you pass judgment on your brother? In other words, why are you worried about someone else? Don't worry about someone else. You just worry about yourself. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? Why do you think it doesn't matter how you treat people? It does matter how you treat people, right? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, so everyone's going to get their day in court, whether they want it or not, right? <clears throat> Where you're just standing there, just you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. And then verse 11, Romans 14, for it is written, and here's one of those places where the Bible does this funny thing where it quotes itself. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Now that's going to be an interesting sight, don't you think? I'll tell you what else I think. I think it's important to make sure you're on the right side when this happens. That's what I think, right? We're not told exactly how it's going to take place, but there's coming a day when every knee of every religion and background will acknowledge Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when that happens, I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you, you, you better be on the right side when it happens because it's going to happen. Which leads us to Paul's next statement, verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So, what does this look like? What does this giving an account of our life look like? Well, we're not told specifically what it will look like, but I'm inclined to think that it's going to come down to like a two-question test, all right? And some of you are like, test, test. You mean I got to take a test? I got to take a test? Yeah, 
That, that's the bad news. The bad news is to get to heaven, you got to take a test. The good news is it's an open book test. And the, the book is the Bible. And I'm actually going to help you out. Your pa because your pastor loves you so much, I'm going to do you a solid and help you with this. Because, you know, if you're like me, I, I, how many of you don't test real well? I'm really smart. I really am. But I didn't test real well. That's why I always liked I know a lot of people don't like essay questions. I loved essay questions. Here's why. It gave me a fighting chance. You know, I could blow smoke with the best of them. I really can. I didn't, I mean, maybe I don't know the answer, but if I had an essay, you know, give me some time to write and I'll start blowing smoke, you know, maybe and I, you know, matching, nah, that's too precise. You know, mass, you know, multiple choice, no, 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 that's too precise, right? Besides the multiple choice, you psych yourself out because you start out, you know, A's looking good, but then the longer you look at it, B's starting to look pretty good and then, man, C's looking pretty good too and then, D, none of the above. Just do that. It's always D. If you look at it long enough, just go with D. None of the above, right? So I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to do you a solid here, and I'm going to kind of help you out here. Because we're not told exactly what this test is going to look like or the type of language that's going to be used when this happens. But I do think that we do know the content. So for those of you who like to go deep on Sunday mornings, here's the deep theological part of my message, all right? Every single one of us sitting in here this morning as well as all of us, all of you from our eCampus church who are watching our live stream. This includes all of you as well. Every single one of us will go through two judgments. The Bible's very clear about that. And even though we're not told, again, exactly what the judgments will look like, I do believe they will somehow be linked to a couple of questions. And without a doubt, the first question will be presented something like this. What did you do with my son, Jesus? My son, who I sent to earth to pay for your sins, because sin requires a payment. The Bible's clear about that. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So here's where we're told that the payment for sin is blood, or really, more accurately, death, right? But the problem here is obvious, isn't it? If we pay for our own sin, we're not around to enjoy the benefits for that payment, right? Because we're dead. That's why God, who invites us to call him Heavenly Father, that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Two of you. Two of you think that's, shame on you guys. I thought that, isn't that cool? Yeah. There we go. That's more like, it. by rejecting the offer of God's son, and this is what's really sad, by rejecting the offer of God's son and the sacrifice he made, the blood that he shed for our sins, you do realize that people who reject Jesus Christ are essentially paying for their own sins. And that is sad because their sins have already been paid for. Think about that, dear ones. How sad is that? People who reject Jesus Christ, they're paying for their sins that have already been paid for. So people pay for their own sins by choosing to live eternally separated from God. And look, look, hell isn't a place that God sends people he gets mad at. It's not like God gets mad at, Mike, get out of my face. I'm tired of you. No, that, that's not how hell works. In fact, the Bible tells us that hell was not even created for us. You know that, don't you? The Bible's clear. Bible says hell wasn't created for us. Hell was created for the, the devil and his demons. That's what the Bible says. But for those who reject the payment that Jesus Christ made for our sins, well, someone's got to pay. So who's next in line? If you, if you turn down Jesus' offer, who's next in line? That's you. And that is so sad, dear ones, when people reject Jesus and choose to pay for their own sins especially considering they were already paid for. What a horrible thing to happen. 
God sent his son to pay for our sins. And in return, listen, in return, all he wanted was, he didn't want perfection. He didn't want holiness. All he wanted was you. That's it. That's all he wanted. All right? His life for your life. That's the essence of one of the questions that we're going to have to answer when we stand before God. The scriptural reference for this part of our test is found in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And then watch this next phrase, and books, plural, more than one, were opened. Then another book, singular, just one, was opened, which is the book of life. So again, we don't know for sure how it plays out, but there's coming a day when we're all going to stand before God and give an account for how we lived our life. And these things are recorded in the books, the plural that he referenced up in verse 12. Again, I don't know how this is going to play out. You know, I think of the movie Bruce Almighty. Remember that scene in Bruce Almighty uh, where he's up in that room with Morgan Freeman with God and he opens that file cabinet and it just keeps coming out about 50 feet. Well, that's the reference to the books. Those were all of his deeds, okay? Again, we don't know how that's going to work. Verse 12, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. All right, so two books mentioned, actually two group of books, then a book. But part one of the test has to do with the books. Part two has to do with the book, singular, the book of life. And this is the important book. This is the book that really counts, dear ones, right? This, this is what, here, look, this is what we don't want to happen. You don't want to see your name written in the books. You want to see your name written in the book, the book of life, right? The name, the, 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 the books, that, the, those are the things that record all your deeds. But when your name's written in the book, singular, then it erases all the other books, all the deeds you did. So that's why you want your name in that second book, the singular book. You want to be judged according to what's been written in the book. And what's been written in the book is your name. When your name's written in the book, then all the other books, it doesn't matter. Jesus erases all that stuff, right? This is a grace judgment. We can't earn it. We, did, we can't do enough. We can't give enough. We can't memorize enough. We can't go to enough, attend enough church services. We can't get baptized enough to get our names in the book of life. This is all on Jesus. It's all on Jesus. All we have to do is give him our life in exchange for his. And when we do that, he erases all that stuff in the books that none of us want to have to explain to anyone, let alone God, right? So how do we know for sure that our names are written in the right book, the book of life? Is there a way that we can know for sure? I mean, this isn't something we want to be surprised by on that day, right? I think you want to go in there pretty sure that your name's in there, right? I'm thinking we should probably do some checking to make sure that our name is in the right book. So is there a way that we can do that? Well, to answer that question, let's look at something that Jesus said once about this topic. In Matthew 7, verse 21, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Then next verse, verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? In other words, there's going to be many who say, hey, God, uh, didn't I do all those Christian things that I was supposed to do? Didn't I go to church on Christmas and Easter and the candlelight service? And didn't I drop a 20 in the offering occasionally? And uh, didn't I do all those Christian things, right? Aren't those going to count for something, God? 
verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Look at that. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice the declaration, he never knew us. That's why we have as our very first step, know God. You need to know God. And I mean here. When I was a youth pastor, the pastor that I worked with preached a sermon missing heaven by 18 inches. And he talked about that space between our mind and our heart. A lot of people know him up here, but they don't know him down here. We want to make sure you know God, know him in your heart, right? Because if you truly know God, he'll know you. He'll know you, right? And the word Matthew used here for know is the word that speaks of not just a mental cognizant acknowledgement of God, but a, but a knowing that comes from a personal relationship, a knowing that moves from our head to our heart. So get your pens out because I'm just about to give you here the answer to the first question for your test. You ready? What did you do with my son Jesus? Here's the answer. I knew him personally. I didn't just know about him. I knew him personally. I talked to him daily. I organized my days around him. I approached my relationships, my job, my family, and my neighbors from the context of his word. That's the answer to the first question. I knew him personally, right? And some of you need to do that this morning. Not join the church. This isn't about joining the church. But some of you get, need to get to know Jesus Christ. You need to exchange your life for his. Otherwise, you're going to end up paying for your own sins. And that would be tragic. That would be tragic since they've already been paid for. And then if you answer this question correctly, you're in the party. You're in. You're in heaven. All right? Now, for those who don't answer the first question correctly, you don't get the second question. But for those who do, there's a second question, a second judgment. See, the first judgment was at the great white throne. This second judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't a grace judgment. This is actually a works judgment, which sounds odd because we talk about salvation being, you know, by faith, through grace, or, or through faith, by grace, right? But those who do accept the gift of Jesus for payment for their sins they will be judged according to how they live their lives. And the second question will be worded something like, Paul actually referred to this judgment for all believers in one of his letters to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, he says, for we, this is all believers, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due. See that? What is due? For Jesus' followers, we're going to be owed something. And what we're going to be owed will be in direct proportion to what we did for God, for his church, and for his kingdom. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What did you do? What did you do with your gifts, talents that I gave you? And since you're going to get asked that question, and since I'm your shepherd, it's my responsibility to make sure that you answer this correctly as well. In verse 27, Matthew 16, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. In other words, how we live our life here does matter, even for us believers, even for us Jesus followers. How we live our life on this planet before heaven does matter, right? Not for heaven. We can't earn that. That's already been sealed. That's through faith, by grace. But for the time that we spend in this life on this planet, yes, we're going to be held accountable for how we impacted this world 
our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what's the best answer for the second question? What should we say when we're asked, what, you, what did you do with what I gave you, the gifts and talents I've given you? Here's your answer. I gave my life away. I gave my life away. I lived my life in such a way that it would outlive me. Before you find Jesus, your whole life should be about finding Jesus so you won't have to pay for your own sins that he's already paid for. But after receiving Jesus Christ, your whole life should be about making a difference, living your life in a way that outlives you, that you're, where your life is still impacting people long after you're gone. The reference for this morning's message, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, this is the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon said this once. He said, he, God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. In other words, Solomon's saying that we're all created with this inner curiosity. No matter what we say, whether we call ourselves an atheist, an agnostic, whatever, doesn't matter. Go to church, don't go to church, doesn't matter. The Bible says that all of us are hardwired to think about eternity. We're not consumed with it. We might suppress it for a long time, but every now and then it will surface. And I'll tell you, one time when it usually surfaces is at a funeral. People go along and they come to a funeral and then people start thinking about eternity. Is there more to life than this life, right? Sometimes people think about this when they get the call from the doctor, from the oncologist. I'm telling you, folks, you might not, you're not consumed with it, but everyone, no matter what they say, has been hardwired with eternity in their hearts. In other words, deep down, we know there's, there's something beyond this life. There's something is. The problem is when people ignore or simply fail to recognize the eternity that God's placed in their heart, it causes them to live their life in, in such a random, carefree manner. But if our lives really do matter, now think about this. If our lives really do matter, and they do, and if the goal is to leave something that outlives us, then we should be more intentional about how we live our lives here and now, right? I mean, doesn't that make sense? And that's what I want to propose to you. Because if you're going to stand before God, and there's going to be this question, and, and our time on this planet is very short compared to e our eternal destiny, then come on, let's live this life well, right? Let's live this life well. Let's live this life more intentionally. So that's what I want to do. I want to help you live your life more intentionally and give it and live it very well. So real quick, four areas where you can start being more intentional in your relationship with God and others. First, I will intentionally give what I have to others. Notice I said give what you have, not what you don't have. God won't hold you accountable for not giving what you don't have. He only holds us accountable for what we do have. Again, this isn't just referring to money. It's referring to you, all of you, your gifts, your talents, your time, your treasure, right? Your talents, your whole being your life. You have arms, go hug someone. Well, maybe wait till vaccine uh, comes out. But you know what I'm saying? You've got fingers, text someone a word of encouragement, right? Think about the advantages that we have living today, especially the technology that we have that other, other generations didn't have. I guarantee you, we're going to be, the church is going to be held accountable for that, people. We're going to be held accountable for the technology that we had available to us that the church a generation ago didn't have. God's going to hold us accountable for that, right? So, 
We talked about this some last week, but most of us are in the top 1% of wage earners in this world. If you made $45,000 last year, by the world standards, you're not just rich, you're stinking rich. We talked about that last week. And even though you don't feel rich, God is still going to hold you accountable for how you leveraged what you had for his church and for his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11. Yes, God will give you much so that, watch this, so that you can give away much. And when, we, and, when, and when we take your gifts to those who help them, who need help, need them, they will break out into thanksgiving and praise to God for your help. When we give what we have, not only does it bless others, it oftentimes serves to draw those people to the Lord. God blesses us with much so that we can give much to others, right? To help you break free from a, from a selfish lifestyle and, and live a life that outlives you, become a giver. Not just a giver, Consider becoming a percentage giver. I will intentionally become a percentage giver. Another way to say this would be plan what you give. Don't be a spontaneous giver. I mean, there might be times when God might move on you spontaneously. And, and if he does, then be obedient to that for sure. But as a rule, when it comes to your giving, you should be intentional about doing that. How? By being a percentage giver. This is the biblical pattern, the tithe, right? Look, if I ever make an appeal for money, because I'm already sensitive about that topic. But when I announce an offering, I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to show a, a sad video with some starving children over in Africa, you know, with tears going down their cheek or anything like that. I'm just going to say, look, here's the need. I want you to pray about it, and you do what God tells you. And that should be sufficient, shouldn't it? That should be sufficient, right? Here, here's here's the, the thing. When it, when it comes to our treasure, basically it comes down to a very, it's, it's an oversimplification, but here's what you need to do. You need to be intentional and determined to save 10%, give 10%, and live off the 80%. That is just a general rule of thumb. That's what you need to learn to do, right? And some of you, you already do this, and that's great, and I do pray that God will bless you for your obedience and your faithfulness in that area of your life. And I gotta be honest, you have no idea you really have no idea. Those of you that already do this, you have no idea how much your giving has, has impacted this church. I mean, some of the stuff that we've been able to do because of your generosity. I mean, you know, I, I like the lights and the smoke and the, you know, I, I, can, I can worship in any setting. But look, our vision is to make this the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And we're trying to create an engaging worship environment. And you know what? It's working. Do you know that we have had new, I'm talking about never been in this building before, first-time visitors. We have had new visitors, first time for 22 weeks straight since we opened back up. Folks, we've been here 32 years. There were times we would go a year and maybe get three or four visitors. God's moving, folks. And a lot of that has to do with you and your obedience and your generosity, all right? There was one Sunday a few weeks ago, we had, it was over 20, 26 or 28 visitors. First time, first time visitors. That's amazing, right? Our son Kyle made this comment on Thanksgiving Day when we had our family over. He said, you know, we're not wanting to grow a church. We're wanting to build a healthy church because a healthy church will grow. That's what we want to do. We just want to build a healthy church. That's biology 101. A healthy living cell is going to grow. That's all we're wanting to do is create a healthy church because a healthy church will grow. So to sort of help jumpstart you here, I'm going to give you some baby steps for, for giving. After all, Jesus did say that this was one area where we could test him and see if he wouldn't hold up his end of the deal regarding our giving and tithing. 
So we're going to give you the opportunity to test the Lord over the next few weeks during the holiday season. We've got some cards that are there, I think, on a, on a chair on your, where you're sitting at the end of your robe. Uh, and I'd like for you to take some of these cards. There's an act of kindness. They're acts of kindness cards. And, and it just says a little something to show you God loves you. Well, you talk about leaving a legacy. You talk about living your life in a way that outlives you. Go over the next few weeks and one another someone. Go one another someone. Go bless the socks off someone, right? Go, go uh, Jesus said, love one another in the same way that I have loved you. Love other people the same way that Jesus has loved you over these next few weeks. If you go to Texas Roadhouse, hot off the press, even Casey's, it doesn't matter. Go bless the socks off someone. If, you're, if your waiter, if your server did a good job, leave them one of those cards and leave them a nice tip. A nice tip. Now, if you go to Texas Roadhouse and your bill's $47 and you leave $5 bill, don't leave one of our cards. If you're not going to tip good, don't leave one of our cards. We don't want to be associated. We want to be associated with excellence. Seriously, take those cards and go bless someone, right? But it's not just about your money or resources. Make, make a difference. Be intentional about how you spend your time, your treasure, and your talents. Because whether you realize it or not, there are certain things that only you can do, and definitely only you can do the way you do them. That, that is a fact. So... Become a percentage giver. Determine to become a percentage giver. Streamline your, your life down to living on so much, giving so much, and living off the rest, saving the rest. And, and again, I know it's an oversimplification of how, how this works, but it really is the best way to approach life. Number three, I will intentionally serve others. Now, those of you who haven't been to church in a while and you just recently started coming back, we'll give you a pass here temporarily, not for long. But seriously, if you just started coming back to church, whether for whatever reason, you know, maybe you just, you know, got busy, you know, got caught up in the speed of life and have got fell out of the church, or maybe you had a bad church experience, and that's why you're not in church. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Either way, if you've just been coming for a short time, go ahead, catch your breath, get healed, you know, let, let Jesus heal you. But at some point, we need you to step up to the plate. Because the body of Christ is an all-skate, people. Everyone's in on this. No, no, one, no one on the sidelines. This is all-skate. So at some point in time, if you consider this your church home, you need to step up to the plate and get plugged in in this area, right? Matthew 20, 26 and 27, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. We're talking about serving others. Verse 28, Matthew 20, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, this is the model that Jesus set before us. So how do you do this? What does this look like for you? Well, again, if you consider family church, your home church, uh, consider, first of all, taking the next class, which we offer at the end of each month. I think usually the last Sunday of the month, we offer the next class, right? Uh, getting on one of our dream teams, uh, would, that would be part of the, these next steps. Uh, and if you're worried about missing out on a service, that's what we call, we have this thing called Worship One, Serve One, where you come and worship at one of the services, and then the other service you can serve. And it just, it, it's beautiful. It, that's, it's interesting how God works it out like that. But again, we need everyone on board for this thing to work that the, the way it should, right? Uh, check out our First Impressions Dream Team, right? If you can smile and hold a sign, you're in. If you can smile and hold a sign, man, you're on. You're on the team, Right? Uh, children's ministries, nursery, toddler, preschool, elementary. If you can change a diaper and hand out an animal cracker, you're in. 
kind of. I mean, we, we, do, we do take ministry to your kids seriously. We, we teach them the gospel. But you know what I'm saying, right? We need your help with AVL. You know, it can get behind one of those cameras. Get back there at the, at the, the desk and let Zach teach you on the, the, the sound system, right? Get on a camera. You can carry an umbrella. Help some, escort someone in if it's raining outside. Got a key, we, need, we got a keyboard up here somewhere. We need someone to play the keyboard. Can you play the keyboard? Can you play the guitar? You don't have to be Jimi Hendrix good, Eddie Van Halen good. We just need you to be able to play the guitar a little bit, right? Sing. Can you sing? And we'll be the judge of that. But <laughs> we need people to step up to the plate and help us here. And see, the thing is, when you talk to people who've done this, because I know it's a big step. It really is. But when you talk to people who've done this, and I encourage you to do so, but if you talk to people who've done this, they'll, they'll tell you it was like at, one, at once the scariest thing they've ever did, but also the most fulfilling thing they did. Because there is that uncertainty if you've never done that before, right? So I want you to watch this short little testimony. This is Stacy Newhouse, who's just been coming to the church for a short time. But in just looking at what she's done since she's been here, I thought, you know, I think that is just a perfect picture of what we're trying to do here at Family Church. So go ahead and play that, that short minute and a half testimony. Is that? attending church on Sundays, reading the daily devotional, and praying that I was not getting anything out of much of what I was doing or wasn't really digging in. So I started praying, and I prayed a lot. And I started to fill a pool for Salem Church. Honestly, at first, I tried to ignore it. I am one that doesn't like change, doesn't like to get out of my comfort zone, and I was very conflicted about leaving a church that I had been to for many years. But I could not ignore what I was feeling. And I know that feeling was God helping guide me to fill my missing piece. I had been watching Family Church online, but I decided to attend an in-person service when everything opened back up, and I'm so thankful that I did. I feel like I can give more, can seek more, and I can serve more, and it feels great. And I know that God did all of it and is working in my life. Amen. You know, when I, when I called uh, and asked Stacy if she'd be willing to tape a testimony, at, at first she was kind of hesitant because she said, I know people don't realize this, but she said, I actually am kind of shy, you know, about talking in front of people, in front of a camera or whatever. But she made this comment. She said, you know, this might be the Lord's way of helping me be more bold and comfortable sharing my faith with others. And uh, so I am so glad that she embraced that opportunity, stepped up to the plate and kind of got out of her comfort zone. But she's on our dream team now. She's out there greeting people, smiling. I mean, uh, and, and I just thought, you know, that's kind, of what, that's kind of what we're all about. That's what we want you to do, right? So number four, I will intentionally share Christ with others. You know, we're coming up on one of those times of the year where people are actually thinking about going to church. Kyle had referenced this earlier. So here's what I'm going to ask of you. You know, there are 52 Sunday mornings each year. 52 Sunday mornings each year. Every single one of you needs to know the thrill and the nervousness of having an unchurched, unsaved person sitting next to you here at church. Every single one of you needs to know the nervousness 
of having an unsaved or an unchurched or de-churched person sitting next to you. It's going to totally change your view of church, but in a good way. See, when you invite an unsaved person to church, your view of, of church is completely different. First of all, you're going to be nervous as all get out. I know this because people come to me. I'll see them walk in. I'll see someone walk in, and they've, they've, got, someone, they've got a friend with them. So after introducing me to their friend, you know, and then that, that person will come sit down. Then they'll come back to me. They'll say, Pastor, I brought my friend. Don't blow it. You better knock it out of the park, Pastor. And then they go to April or Sam and say, okay, what songs are you singing? I got my friend here. What songs are we singing? They better be good ones, right? At least a few times a year, all of us need to experience the thrill, the tension, and the nervousness and the fun of having an unchurched person sitting next to you on Sunday morning because you truly are playing a part in the eternal destiny of a soul. And there's nothing more exciting than celebrating a decision for Jesus Christ. And look, and if you invite someone and they don't, they don't accept Jesus, then, you know, because it's one of those things, every, every head bowed, eye closed, but then you're like, they raise their hand. Now, doesn't matter if they accept Jesus or not at that service, right? The final chapter hasn't been written. You just keep praying for them, keep investing in them, keep reaching out to them, keep serving them. Just keep reaching out to them, all right? 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In other words, we, look, we are God's plan to reach this planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. Folks, there is no plan B. This is it. This is it. God, and I'm sure he has second thoughts, God chose us as his plan to reach this world. So that's all he's got. Mark 16.15, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone, everywhere and everyone. Why? 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, you mean there's another age? You bet. That's what this is all about, folks. Preparing for the next age that is to come. That's why we invite people to church. They need to know that there's more to life than this age. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, the future, the coming age, eternity. Foundation for the future so that they may take hold of, what, of that which is truly life. So, as we leave here this morning, I want to leave this statement with you, and I hope this will bounce around in your brain, rattle around in your mind throughout the holiday season and even beyond. But here's what we need to always be mindful of. There's more to life than this life. There's more to life than this life. Let me pray for you. I want to pray for that second judgment first, that, that second question. What did you do with what I gave you? Lord, help all of us to, to live our lives in such a way that we're intentional about our giving, our serving, our sharing, and witnessing for Christ. Help us to begin living our life in a way that truly matters. Living our life in a way that will live long past when we're gone, Father, when we're in heaven with you. So help us to do that. And for the first question, what did you do with my son Jesus? If you're here with us or in person or even watching online or eCampus Church, and there's a gap between you and God, and you know there's a gap there. You sense the distance between you and Jesus. Maybe you were close with him at one time, but for whatever reason or reasons, you're not close to God now. 
it would be my honor to lead you back to the Lord or to the Lord. Listen, you don't have to join this church to bridge that gap. I mean, we love to have you be a part of this church, but that's not the requirement for making things right with God. All you have to do, and this is both the easiest and most difficult thing that you'll ever do, but what it comes down to is an exchange. It's an exchange of lives. Your life, Jesus' life for your life. God gives you his life through Jesus Christ, and all he asks is that you give him your life in return. You want salvation? Surrender your life to God. He gave his life for you. All he wants in return is your life in exchange. And I'm telling you, that is better than any Black Friday or Cyber Monday deal you'll ever come across. But if that's you, if you're ready to surrender your life and make that exchange, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer to do that. So if you would just pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins so I don't have to pay for them. And now I choose to receive the life that you gave for me. And in return, I'm giving you my life back. And I pray that you would help me begin living my life in a way that would allow you and your will and your plan for my life to be lived out. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God who died for my sins and rose from the dead three days later so that I might have that hope of conquering that sting of death and don't have to be afraid of dying. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.